When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome in. Got to tell you about Dr. Busby and ToeGrips.com. It's ToeGrips.com with Dr. Busby, and she'll get you taken care of. Uh, Luther, he takes the Encore Mobility Supplement, and he takes that supplement every day. In fact, he takes two of them, and uh, they really help him out big time as he is, uh, of course, he's up there in age. He's uh, over 10. Uh, but today we went for a nice long walk, and it doesn't phase him because he takes his Encore Mobility Supplement. When he takes that supplement, he's like Superman. And uh, it'll be great for your dogs as well to take it, whether they're young dogs, old dogs, doesn't matter. That Encore Mobility Supplement will help. But don't forget this. Go to ToeGrips.com and check out Dr. Busby's blog. Go to ToeGrips.com. Check out, oh, I don't know, check out everything she's got there, right? The blog is great. There's tons of information on it. Get the toe grips. Get uh, whatever you need to get for your dogs, man. And if you use the promo code Luther, you save 10%. But the blog is absolutely free, so you might as well go check out the website because if you have a question about your dogs, I'm guessing that Dr. Busby has answered it. So check them out, toegrips.com, toegrips.com. Promo code is Luther. And just check out the website because it's loaded with good stuff uh, that uh, will help you out in your dog uh, your dog lives there. So check them out, toegrips.com. We lo- uh, love, 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 love Dr. Busby. It is toegrips.com. Thank you. Howdy, everybody. Welcome in to the Josh Ennis Show. So um, today on the radio show, our friend Craig Gass stopped in, and uh, we kept talking during the commercial breaks because I felt, hey, I want to uh, give you guys a pod that is full of good stuff from Craig Gass, a little off-the-cuff stuff, nice little conversation off the air. So um, I'm going to play that for you. Now, I the, the edits are going to be a little weird because, remember, we're talking for maybe 10 minutes during some songs, and then I have to jump back in and do some stuff on the air. There may have been some stuff left in from the air, but uh, a lot of... So basically, if there's a place where it goes in and it jumps to something else, you go, what the hell happened? That would be the reason. I, I think, though, for the most part, I was able to eliminate most of that. So uh, that shouldn't be an issue. I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. I did leave a little bit in from the, the, the radio show. But uh, yeah... So we talked about a lot of stuff in here, comedy and life and radio and a bunch of stuff. So uh, check it out. Let me know what you think. It's uh, me and Craig Gass from earlier today. Gotcha. All right. Well, hello to all those people. Thank you. Uh, but- Comedian here, usually funny. I'm uh, <laughs> performing in uh, in Nashville this weekend at the Wine Down. Oh, you that's the second time you've been there, second right? Second time I've been there, yeah. Um, I felt like uh, a rock star because I sold it out. Uh, the reality is it holds 20 people. That's why it's, <laughs> out. So it's, uh, it's like a broom closet in there, so it's easy to sell the place out. But uh, we're talking about um, my admiration for you, sincere admiration that you got thrown out of the Super Bowl. Well, and you're the only one. 
because uh, everybody else they're like you're a pos and you're terrible and everything else it's everyone funny. at management yeah all the management people hate sure. me and then the people who don't like me use it as well you're just a jerk you got kicked out of the super bowl i'm like you know 20 years ago that would have been a huge thing like if if stuttering john got kicked out of the super bowl it'd be a story and it'd be funny and everything it's like in 2020 2022 when was that 2018 like it's a different world now it's oh, it like everybody's no, it like was a story dude oh you're, it was a huge story i'm not just playing yeah no it was a huge story like it happened on a tuesday and so was, nothing was happening so i was the big story it was trending worldwide yeah because i got a text saying isn't this your friend <laughs> <laughs> I went, oh dude isn't this your friend like, my, which by the way I love getting texts like that <laughs> when your friends are on TMZ, your friends are like uh, getting arrested and, and news articles are being written. That's great. Yeah. They, so they did that and we got kicked out, not because of that, but because of another issue that we had with the station and we didn't have a table. It was a whole thing, but it became, I got us kicked out. And instead of the radio station embracing it and being like, well, hell let's ride with this thing. It was, yeah, we might have to fire you. I'm like, but why I'm getting us a bunch of attention. And I didn't do it on purpose. Like I gumped my way into that. That was just a, Dude calls me out and says, come over here. You won't say that to my face, bitch. Right. And I said, yeah, I will. Because what am I going to do? I've been talking shit about the dude the whole time. Yeah. So if a football player that I've been talking shit about says he wants to fight, if I stay in the corner and go, oh, no, then I'm like, I'm a bitch. So right. I had to go do it and risk getting punched in the face, which the I way, didn't. In that moment, were you scared? Yes. <laughs> God, I was so scared. Like I had adrenaline. So my hands were kind of shaking. Like, yes. that, that, I mean, I'm like, sure you've been in those moments too. Cause you do a lot of like the wacky talking to people and like, you know, stunt type stuff. Right. I mean, when you're on radio well, yeah, row, you're, you're um, in your mind, you know, I got to do this, but you're thinking I might get my ass kicked. Correct. So there's a little adrenaline and my hands are kind of shaking and, there, somebody was calling me out for that too, saying, "Oh, you're looking at me scared." Yeah, I was. This dude played in the NFL. He might have CTE for all I know. He might destroy my ass. But I had one. to do it because yeah. I can't talk shit about a dude for for months. And then when he calls me out to have a face to face, I can't go. Nope, sorry, can't do that. I had to get my ass up and go stand face to face. That's always been the yin and the yang. Is that uh, funny people, creative people working at stations are being overseen by business people who are worried about advertisers and don't see the payoff of... But our number one advertiser who sponsored that trip thought it was the most brilliant thing ever. That guy's name is Mattress Mac. You probably heard of him because he's the guy that makes the billion-dollar bets. So uh-huh, that's my friend. And he and he, he loved it. He called, Let me tell you what he did. He called me after that. He, he, I get on the phone, he goes, Hey, Josh. I go, yeah. He goes, Mac. I said, all right, Mac. You know, what's going on? You get kicked <laughs> off Radio Row. You trying to fight that guy? I said, yeah, I did. He goes, that's hilarious, man. Keep it up. No press is bad press. But my boss is on the phone saying, yeah, we might have to fire you. <laughs> and they didn't fire you. like you They said. didn't fire me for that. They eventually fired me for whatever reason they decided to fire me for. But, yes, that moment they decided not to. Well, it's crazy to me because the NFL is so conservative. I'm always being really careful because I'm a huge football fan, and I love going to the Super Bowl every year, talking to the players on both teams, getting silly content. I noticed firsthand a friend of mine getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, years before I met you. Yeah. And it was Artie Lang. We were in New Orleans for the Super Bowl between the Ravens and the 49ers. And at that time, it was a big news story right before the Super Bowl that a, 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 an active player had come out as being gay. And, of course, was praised. And, and a lot of people, it, it really um, was inspirational. But being that it's football. Yeah. And being that there's, you know, the, the kind of guys that typically play football. 
Artie was kind of throwing it out there like, hey, what would you do if you heard there was a gay guy in your team? And of course, everybody's answering it diplomatically. So you really can't tell where somebody's feelings are. Yeah. Because they're, they're, they know what the answer should be. But one of the players. From I Florida, think it was the dude from San Francisco. Yes. And I don't remember his name, but he like he went off on it. He said, I would punch him. He said, <laughs> someone came out to me. He was a total caveman and said he was so, he was so his sexuality was so threatened by the concept of a of a gay man being in the same locker room as him that he said i would physically assault somebody which is so like bizarre and Artie just oh really and he was, oh you gotta oh, keep it going goes, yeah. yeah and he just kept pushing the mic closer to his mouth like yeah yeah so uh so what about the gays? Like, what would you do? Like, what would you do? And, and the guy goes, man, if, if a gay guy ever came, it was, it was, it was like um, stripes, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you almost touched me. I'll kill you. And uh, lighten up, Francis. So he, um, uh, Artie, gets banned from all future NFL events. All future NFL. Oh, events. because he asked a question to the guy, and the guy was the Neanderthal. The guy was the Neanderthal, and and Artie got in trouble for it. So I've had moments where. I remember being so high on myself at Super Bowl 50 in the Bay Area. Was that the one with, did you talk to Tom? Did you do something with Brady? Did I've Brady... done a bunch of stuff with Brady. Got you. With Brady, it's a constant, you're so handsome. Sure. Uh, Tom, like when you look in the mirror, does your reflection ever just wink at you? Like, is it? <laughs> and he'll laugh. And because he laughs, that'll end up on ESPN. Yeah. And I remember starting a thing with because tom brady was coming back so often to the super bowl that i had to come up with new and and more interesting questions i remember saying to him hey tom my name's craig gas i'm a stand-up comedian this is my friend jason that's my friend aaron we were discussing the four of us together and we were ranking the four of us from most handsome to least <laughs> handsome obviously you're number one because you're tom brady but tom who would you rank as number two and i pointed at myself yeah. number three and number four. And Tom goes, wait, who am I ranking? And I go, me and this guy and this guy. And he goes, all right, fan out. And I go, oh. And, I, and we, all, <laughs> we, all, we all fanned out. And I didn't do this consciously. Subconsciously, I started sucking in my gut <laughs> and pushing my chin out so I could be more handsome uh. for Tom Brady. And then he ranked us. And then uh, a year later, he's back at the Super Bowl again. And I said, hey, Tom, uh, you ranked us from most handsome to least handsome uh, last year, and we've been fighting about our rankings. And between the three of us, we've actually lost five pounds. And I wanted to see if it was possible <laughs> to. Uh, can we get a re-rank? Can we get a re? Yeah. So uh, Super Bowl Fifty, I'm I'm really high on myself because I had a moment with Peyton Manning that started going hyper viral within minutes, which was. I said to, talk to uh, Peyton Manning, uh, Peyton, I have an idea for you called Peyton Manning Trivia, where it is impossible for you to get any question wrong. And he said, any question? I said, yeah, uh, for you, it'll be impossible. And we're going to do a speed round right now. What is the largest city in the state of Nebraska? Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> where is the College World Series played at every year? Omaha. We're in every answer. That's great. Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. We you were going to try to do that with uh, something similar with uh, Shannon Sharp, right? Uh, because Skip, he does that Skip all the time. Yeah, yeah. Come on, Skip. So we were going to, we brought our guy in and he was just going to ask him everything that has to do with Skip. Like, so like, uh, what is that little, like, like whenever your CD, there's a scratch, what does it do? Skip. 
Like and like we were gonna do that same thing, but we couldn't get backstage. Do we had it set up and everything? So I'm with you. That's that's funny though, and that went viral. Huh? Oh, hyper viral. NFL on Fox put it on. ESPN put it on. It went. It got three million views within 24 hours. I'm already getting texts saying, "Oh my god, I'm watching your video." And every time I reboot it, it has another 20,000 views. I'm like, "Holy shit, this thing's taking off!" Wow, I'm really on it this year. Yeah. And the Broncos walk off, and then the Panthers come out, and I'm like, "Oh man, if Peyton Manning liked me." Cam Newton's going to love me. <laughs> he I, won't. I walked up to Cam Newton, and I said, uh, Cam, my name's Craig Gass, and I don't know if you know this. Do you know what Cam Newton named his son? No. It's like a legend or something? It's, uh, uh, oh, God, it's not, le- it's um, uh, Cam Newton's son name. Let's see what his son's name is. Chosen? Chosen. That's it. Chosen. And He's I also said, got a kid named Cashmere, I believe. I said, Cam, my name's Craig Gass. I'm a stand-up comedian. I love that you named your son uh, Chosen. Um, but do you ever worry about the other kids going to school with him and them feeling insecure that they're not Chosen? And Cam answered it so seriously that I went, "But okay, one more. Uh, were you trying to one-up anybody who names their kid Jesus? <laughs> and he goes, what's your question? And he just went right down the line. <laughs> And looking at the footage, I was so afraid of looking like a dick that I didn't even put the footage out. It was such a funny, awkward moment. But I thought if the NFL sees this, I might get kicked out. Which is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It is. But he's a very self-important guy. Like he comes across. He named his kid Chosen. He's like the most self-important dude. Yeah. He named his kid Chosen. I mean, which is funny considering that he dresses like one of the golden girls. That's what makes it funny that he's so self-important, which is. One of the things that I love about him is, his, or, or his he had the thing a couple outfit. months ago where he was talking about masculinity and how no one's masculine anymore, as he's wearing like a floral print muumu. Yes, <laughs> and they're like, dog, nobody's masculine anymore. And like you hear the Golden Girls theme song in the background. Yeah. So, so the idea that guys like me and you, goofballs, um, get in trouble with masculine, aggressive guys is always entertaining. It is. It's, it's always we need more of me. it. But but the idea that you got thrown out of and what's funny about it is you called me up and you said uh, um, we were gonna hang out. On <laughs> Looks the like air. we're not gonna be hanging. No, you said <laughs> hey, so we're gonna we're still hanging out. Uh, I don't know. Oh if- yeah, we went to Perkins. <laughs> we went to a Perkins. <laughs> Hold on, let's do that. We do the the radio party, but that's great. You're the only person that showed up at Perkins, dude. It's Perkins, man. Who doesn't like breakfast at Perkins? <laughs> it, it's crazy to me the kind of shit that guys like us can get into. Um, uh when we are mixed in with guys uh who people who grew up differently than we did sure and don't have senses of humor oh absolutely Um, but like i'm i'm fascinated by again the the people that you've come in contact with like it almost feels like you've just kind of gumped into these situations 100 like they're absolute gump spots here you know what i'm saying like living with eddie Eddie van halen yeah um becoming like mentor and mensa mentee with uh george carlin george carlin being on the field with my favorite football team when they won the super bowl and being in the locker room with them uh being the uh uh opening for metallica okay so let's go there i don't know that we've ever talked about that about Dude, that is such a great story. That's a, that's a radio story. Okay, okay. Well, so we gotta, we'll do that. He'll tell it on here too. Why not? So tell me here, and then we'll do it on the air too. Uh, it's such a long story though that I think it's it should go like I, I think we should section that off for after George Carlin to go into how I got to open from Metallica. That, all good. 
because yeah, because that's it's, cool. Because I got to keep things on the air to like four minutes or so at a time, four yeah, or five. Yeah, so yeah. I'm with it. So let's do that. So I haven't watched uh, what is it? Perfect Monster, the, the perfect kind of monster, whatever their their documentary is, the Metallica documentary. Yeah, yeah. You've never seen it. Some I've kind never of seen monster. It. Some kind of monster. Yeah, I've never seen it. And um, I was watching something on Reels, you know, one of those breaking the band shows, talking about the near breakup of Metallica. And I'm like, yeah. well, now I want to watch this documentary. Like, honestly, they seem like assholes. And I don't know if they were assholes when you were there. Like Lars, if Lars seems like an asshole. Lars has a reputation because people were mad at him for being the face uh, against the Napster movement. Sure. So people getting mad at him for like, oh, man, don't you have enough money? But it wasn't about just Metallica. It was about a business model that had been broken. And Lars stepped up as one of the most successful rock stars to be the face of it. So it kind of made people go like, fuck you, man. You've already got your money. But he the was- thing about those, like he like James, even though James could be an asshole too, James's perception is he's kind of the nicer guy in the group, even mm-hmm. though it may not be true. And Lars is kind of like the the muscle of the group, if that makes sense. Isn't it interesting, though, when you get to know people who have a public persona of of being seen in, in a certain light and getting to know that person and realizing it's because of how they go about things that they're seen a certain way? Yeah. And that there's a full picture of the person that um, isn't necessarily uh, – even in line with that public image sure so tell me then tell me lars then so lars's public image is almost like a tyrant like hates everybody and crushes the little guy and will sue over anything like oh wow you used my metallica song at a wedding i'll sue you like that's the perception of lars what's the reality of lars um i'm gonna tell you the greatest lars story when we get back on the air but but after this great moment of him really showing that he has a great sense of humor i end up doing a radio show with him a promotion called late night with lars and he had never met me he bought me a plane ticket and flew me to denver to co-host this radio show with him where he's going to take over a radio station a, a rock station in denver and it's going to be syndicated to 20 markets and when he came in to do that broadcast he uh radio station guys are standing by and he walks in and they go, hey, Lars, uh, welcome to KBPI. Uh, so uh, uh, the, 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 Tom over there is your board guy. Just point to him when you want to go to commercials. He'll get you in and out of commercials. And Lars goes, no, man, I want to learn how to do the board. So tell me how to do the board and tell me how to work this. And they go, no, 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 we'll take care of it. And he goes, no, it's supposed to be late night with Lars. So I want to learn how to actually do it. And they gave him a crash course in the studio on how to run a board. And he did it awkwardly. It was very clunky, but he insisted this, the whole thing is supposed to be this. And that's what I want to do. I really want to be a guy taking over a radio station. And I really admired the humility of that. So he um, is a Uber fan of music. And I think still retains that that fandom that he had as a kid, because when he was a kid, he used to drive around and follow Motorhead around Europe. He used to follow them in a car and fan out on Lemmy as a kid. And he still maintained that stepping up to say, hey, there's something really shitty going on with how the music business is breaking down right now, made him a target for people who were like, fuck that guy. It just it it came off poorly to people who couldn't afford 
to buy albums. Sure. He went wrong. I he mean, they're wrong. stealing music. Yeah, they're and that's how music. he makes his living. I think what happens is when people are millionaires, they become easier to crap on because there's the little guy and there's the millionaires. So I get that. What what made me laugh about him, and this is where I kind of changed on Lars, is he was in um what was the movie? It was it wasn't forgetting Sarah Marshall? Yeah, it was. Sequel. No, it was the, the Get Him to the Greek. Was it Get Him to the Greek? Yeah, it was okay. the sequel to that. Yeah, yeah. And he's doing the scene where basically he's banging uh russell brand's girlfriend yeah and he was really good in that yeah. it was kind of like when seacrest was in knocked up like you look at seacrest kind of like this guy's a dope whatever and then they do the scene of him allegedly backstage at e and he's like you know what fuck this and he's and you're like okay i kind of dig it you know what he's got a sense of humor about himself yeah it was like who's that guy that really straight got wayne brady on Chappelle's show yes riding around it and changes your perception of people when they can make fun of themselves 100%. and wayne brady knows who he is he knows he's white bread carlton guy and all the white white housewives love him he knows that's why he's rich but he can embrace it and make fun of it, and that's why it works. I always remember hearing as a kid that the the most um, uh, the guys with the reputations as crazy wild rock stars are not as crazy and wild as you think they are, and the guys with the straightest images are not as straight as you think. Well, they let are. me give you an example. It's not maybe a real example, but there's a meme. And on one half of the meme, it's these dudes at a Metallica show, and they've all got like faces painted and spiky hair, and they look just nuts. They go, fans of Metallica. And then the next shot is a picture of James Hetfield, and it says, lead singer of Metallica, and he's wearing like cargo shorts and Crocs <laughs> with a Burberry bag. And you're like, and this is the lead singer of, like, it, it's true though. Like, yeah. that dude's just someone's dad. You yeah. know, he's just hanging out. Like, I'm sure at some point they were that, those guys, you know, Absolutely. That, were, that were all leathered out and like angsty. Yeah. Then you get rich and you're not angsty anymore. Well, also when you grow up, it's natural sure. to evolve and go from like, I don't know why I was so angsty. I was like, I went to a dick phase where I really admired people who were assholes. And I remember getting to an age, and I don't even know where exactly it happened, but it was somewhere in my 30s where I was looking at my favorite bands as a teenager and just realizing these guys are dicks. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I would never want to hang out with these guys. They're all dicks. But for some reason, when you're a teenager, you just you go through that phase where you really look up to anybody who gives the finger to the system or the finger to the idea of a system then you realize that they're eventually going to become someone who no longer gives the finger to the system you know yeah. they become the system i had a buddy of my, i was into like metal i was into like metal hard rock and a buddy of mine kevin bird was a, a punk dude and i remember him saying why do you listen to such shitty music and i was trying to explain him like no man these guys are cool and i told him a quote that i never second guessed i just thought it was a cool quote never in in any uh moment holding on to this quote did i ever critique it i took it as the word of gospel which was a quote from tommy lee where he said in the interview when i go on tour i like to leave my five-star hotel and just chill out with homeless people <laughs> i believe this he goes i like i and he said some story about like being in the bay area and going down by the docks and and um uh, and getting some booze and hanging out with homeless people. And I was like, yeah, man, he's really street. And I just thought that was really cool. <laughs> and my buddy, Kevin Bird looks at me and goes, that's one of the dumbest fucking things I've ever heard in my life. He goes, why would anyone leave a five? And I never questioned it. And he quickly made me realize, 
God, that really doesn't make any That's sense. Great. And I've been holding on to this dumb quote thinking like, yeah, man, they're cool. They're just, <laughs> they're just regular people. And they like to hang out. And I was like, why did I buy into that? Why did I buy into That's that? That's great. It's fascinating to me how in radio you will meet people mm-hmm. who have bad reputations. Sure. And you almost will be ready for the asshole or this yeah. unlikable person to come into your studio. And sometimes it, it might be somebody you're not even a fan of. And they'll be so fucking cool to you yeah. that you will defend them for the rest of your Absolutely. life. Absolutely. But if they're not nice to you, that you don't. Like, I used to work with guys in Philly who had good reputations because they played a character on the air. They're like, hey, I'm everybody's buddy. Right. Like, they're almost like Cousin Brucey or right. something. You know. Then off the air, they're the biggest pieces of shit I've ever met, and they're yes. insecure, and they want to get everybody fired. Like, yeah. I dealt with that there. Yeah. Like, me on the air, I think people listen to me and they go, wow, what an asshole. Then you meet me, and I'm just some docile guy sitting right. here having a conversation. Stern, I would imagine, like, is similar. Like, at Absolutely. least peak Stern. Absolutely. Like, 90s Stern, where he's a madman, then off the air, it's a different world. You know? Yeah. And he would allude to it all the time on the air and say, I'm not a social person i'm i'm an introvert I, sure. I feel very uncomfortable around people and that's exactly what he's like he's so quiet in public situations that, that they almost think you're being a dick because well, because they're so used to who you are on the radio that if you're not like hey they think that what the hell bro like is so <laughs> idea? Like, fuck you like i used to get that people would criticize me online and go guy's so fake on the air i met him and he was just sitting having dinner like he wasn't wacky or anything. I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, what am I going to do? Like shit on Colin Kaepernick just at dinner? Like grab my megaphone and be like, yeah, I'll have the quesadillas. And let me tell you about Colin Kaepernick. Like, what am I going to fucking do? Like, yeah. it's a radio show. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny. I, I get all sides of that. And um, it's crazy to me how uh, people who you look up to and admire can sometimes let you down. And that's why I, sports I used to be so passionate about. But like you realize that they're human and you realize that they they they're not perfect. And it almost hurts the image. Like a lot of these guys are now very open about politics and stuff. And they'll dump on people a lot and say, I hate this person. Or if you feel this way, you're a piece of shit. And I'm just kind of like, I don't really admire you guys all that much anymore. Like, I don't need this. I think the pandemic led me to a world where I was like, if there were no sports, I would suck. I like sports. I love the St. Louis Cardinals. I went to LSU, these the Saints. Like, I love these things. But like you know, actors kind of the same way. They all like talk shit. Really Trump did it with Trump coming in in 2016. Like it turned everybody, like everybody became a lunatic Mm -hmm. and both sides became Mm -hmm. lunatics. And it's like, I don't need this shit. You know, it makes, it makes things more difficult if that makes sense. Now, hold on. So we got about a minute till we do the stuff on air. So where are we going with, Uh, we're going to do the George Carlin story. Gotcha. And then we'll set up the set up that we're going to come back with an incredible Metallica story, Gotcha. which leads to how I got to open for Metallica. Gotcha. And it's a crazy, I'm surprised I never told the story. You may have might ring a bell. I know that's the thing is when I, I never have a plan when I come in with you, but fuck do I love, that you let me just do whatever I want. Yeah. And that was the reason why when we met in Houston, that I kept going, hey man, this is not gonna help me at all, but I just love hanging out. Uh, like I, I sure. just, I wanna come on and just tell you some stories. Just riff. Yeah, and right. fuck, that was fun. You la- We got 20 seconds, but my buddy that one year at that we met you at the Super Bowl, he was dressed like Mike Ditka. Oh yeah. And he walked around, he had a mustache and a sweater vest. They almost kicked him out because he would just go sit down on people's shows and start acting like Mike Ditka. And they'd be like, we didn't ask you to come do this. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you the story about George Carlin that I always think about when I think about what a wonderful human being he was. He, again, taught me a lot about how to be funny as a kid. I remember he had this mic technique where he would cup the mic for an exclamation point and go, because... 
you're a moron. Like, yeah. and my friends and I would do that on the phone. We would like cut the phone to make an exclamation point. And, and it was an event every time he had a, a comedy special out that we would talk about and plan for a month ahead of time. And as an adult, he taught me a lot how to be a decent human being. The moment I always think of is I remember hanging out with him. I was living in Seattle. George is my mentor now. He's letting his manager, Jerry, be my manager, which didn't end up amounting to anything. But George came to town to do an uh, autograph, uh, a book signing for this book called Brain Droppings. And while he was doing the book signing, I'm hanging out with Jerry. And Jerry said, did you hear about what happened to Brenda? George's wife. And I said, no. And he said, she just passed away. She was diagnosed with breast cancer and died three weeks later on Mother's Day. I had no idea at that moment. And George does his book signing and he runs out the door and I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And he said, well, call me tonight. I'll be home later tonight. I called him in LA that night and he was very kind of uh, I hear what you're saying, you know, and, and I, I really appreciate the kind words. I just, um, you know, but I got a lot going on and, and thank you. I, I, I understand what you're trying to say to me and thank you. And he even hung up the phone by saying, all right, yeah, I, I got you. I got you. But yeah, give me a call tomorrow. Okay. But I, I understand what you're saying and I love that you're saying it to me. All right. Don't take your dick out on the bus. And he hung up the phone and I go, <laughs> what? What was that last part? <laughs> and so I called Dennis Blair, his opening act. And I said, is he okay? Is George okay? Because I had never heard a guy at George Carlin's age talk about his wife as much as George talked about Brenda. They were together for 40 years. And Dennis says, yeah, I think he's doing okay. You know, uh, it happened a week ago. And my wife and I went to George's house and his daughter came and answered the door and woke George up. He came out and talked to us for a little bit and said, uh, listen, I really appreciate you guys coming over, but I'm really tired and I, I got to get some sleep. I've been up for a couple of days. And we said, yeah, yeah, just call us if you need anything. And George started to walk back towards his bedroom. And Dennis said, my wife and I both saw this. George Carlin walks down his hallway, opens up the door to his bedroom. Brenda used to collect stuffed animals. Mm -hmm. She had stuffed animals all over the house. And when George opened up the door to his bedroom, Dennis and his wife could see inside the bedroom and saw that George had taken all of Brenda's stuffed animals and put them all in bed with him. And Aww. he was sleeping with her stuffed animals. And that was George Carlin. And again, <laughs> that is not going to help me sell tickets. <laughs> to the wind down this weekend in Nashville, but I am usually a hilarious comedian. I will not make you cry. I like, I just started my period. It's the worst comedian I've ever heard in my life. My favorite thing about you reading hate mail this morning when I was coming in is saying the names of the people who sent you the hate mail. It's like, Jeff Pratt, you're a dick. <laughs> fuck you, Jeff Pratt. I was like, wow, what the fuck? We're really going after we're going. We're going after our own audience. Well, what? I mean, look, I don't consider them the audience if they're people that just message shit just to be, you know, a dick. You know what I'm saying? We're like, living in a we're living in a weird time though now where people can uh troll you, can touch you. They can, sure. they can get close to you and or they can run up on stage and almost stab you. Yeah. And then almost be the sympathetic figure because they were doing it for something just and uh and right. Like this guy that, you know, stabbed or tried to stab uh Chappelle. Wow. And he was doing it for the LGBTQ stuff. And uh and now they're like, 
you know, like basically Chappelle, I thought, I thought he handled it incredibly. He goes backstage. He talks with him. He's like, why the hell are you angry? And the guy's like, well, you need to choose your words better. Like, like as if as a comedian, you're supposed to walk up to somebody, you're going to lampoon and go, Hey, are you good with these five jokes? Cause yeah. if, you know, like, come on, like that's not going to happen. It's fucking odd. And it's fucking annoying because it's stand up comedy. It's, um, even 10 years ago, if, if someone had said, Oh my God, did you hear about these people getting hurt at a comedy show? What? What happened? It's like, well, their their feelings were hurt. Yes. <laughs> well, did, did, like, did someone get trampled? What yeah. happened? It was like the Who show? Like, no. no, there was some. Well, it happened this weekend with Chappelle again. So Chappelle was playing. He opened for John Mulaney a as a surprise because it was down the road from Columbus. Yeah, which, it was, yeah. The and they lost their minds over. It. Like everybody runs to social media. I was not expecting this, and I did not want this. Like, come on. I saw it. Uh, I was I was reading tweets on a flight here to Nashville. And I saw something about a guy tweeting, um, uh, I did not expect this, but Chappelle came out and made jokes and I didn't know what to do when 18,000 people were laughing at the jokes. And I replied to that person. I said, oh, why were the 18,000 people laughing? <laughs> Was it funny? <laughs> I think you're supposed to laugh. Yeah. I'm not sure. But by the way, Chappelle, I remember... Uh, after like I met him in like 98 and I knew he had a place out in Ohio and this is before the Chappelle show I'm doing uh headlining a weekend at the improv in Cleveland and I I only knew that Chappelle was in Ohio and I called him up and I reminded of him this of uh when I saw him last summer I saw him do a show at uh in Vegas and I said you remember what you said to me when I came to Ohio for the first time <laughs> I called you up and I go hey dude I'm in Cleveland, man. I know you're out here in Ohio. So if you want to swing by and hang out, or if you want to do a set, man, let's hang out. Do you remember what you said to me? And he goes, no, I go, you go, Craig, do you know how big Ohio is? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, uh, what? And he lived in a town that was like hundreds of miles away near Dayton, Ohio. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't know. I, thought, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm in Ohio. You're in Ohio. Let's hang out. Like I had That's no great. idea. Yeah. Oh. But, um, but yeah, people taking shit seriously. Have you ever been scared of a listener? Not really. I've been annoyed, but I've never been like overly like afraid. Like, so actually let's hold on to that. Cause I got 30 seconds. So Metallica. Metallica yeah. No problem. Keep everything tight. Especially when I'm used to doing long form talk where I can go for like 40 minutes at a time. It's like, all right, you got 30 seconds. What can you do in that? No worries at all. Cool. Thanks, dude. So again, you've gumped your way into many things in life. Like you are like forced gump. You show up in these places before you know it, you're living with Eddie Van Halen or you're best friends with George Carlin or you're opening for Metallica. How does that happen? How do you end up opening for Metallica? The way open for Metallica is such a crazy crazy moment because i used to work at a rock station in new york at k-rock in new york our midday guy there woody ended up doing afternoons in st louis and when i came to st louis to do shows he told me when you get here you can come on and do my whole show with me just hang out just come and hang out like you do with me yeah and i get into st louis on a friday and i start driving to the station to hang out with my buddy and on the way over my buddy has a phone call in the studio from Lars Ulrich, which he knows is huge. So he keeps Lars on the phone without playing any music, without playing any commercials and with no delay. And Lars is dropping some doozies live <laughs> on the air in St. Louis. And I'm entertained by it. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. They just came out with an album called uh, St. Anger. 
And so he's calling in to promote it. And I'm driving to the station for like a half hour. He's still on the phone. I get in the building. He's still on the phone. They let me up into the studio. He's still on the phone. I walk in, I see my buddy and I go, dude, are you, am I still coming on? He goes, I can't get rid of him. I can't <laughs> because I don't. And then, so we hatched a plan on how to get rid of Lars while Lars was talking to St. Louis. And then my buddy goes, hold on. He goes, he goes, grab that other microphone. Hey, hey, Lars, let me. Yeah, that, that is incredible. That, <laughs> yeah, I got, I got you. No, no, no. Uh, let, let me just cut you off for one second. For those of you just joining the broadcast, we have Lars Ulrich from Metallica live on the phone from his house in San Francisco. And Lars, you're not going to believe this, but we have a couple people. And he starts pointing me towards the microphone. Sure. He goes, we have uh, Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons from Kiss are in the studio. And I'm waving them off like, no, no, no. And he goes, yeah, they're in the studio. And they're mad at you. Uh, they want to talk to you. And Lars goes, is that really Paul Staley and Gene Simmons from Kiss? And they go, yeah. Uh, say hi, guys. Hey, Lars, this is Paul Stanley, and this is Gene Simmons from Kiss. And I'm going to get right to the point, Lars. A lot of people steal from Kiss. You know it. I know it. But I think on the new Metallica record, you've gone a little too far. And I'll give you a perfect example. I want you to name one Metallica song on the new record that you think is completely original. And he goes... I think all the songs are pretty original. Right. <laughs> but if you had to pick one song, what would it be? And he goes, if I had to pick one song, I guess it would be. And he gave me a song title. And I said, that's a great song, Lars. But I'm going to be honest with you. I liked it a lot better the first time I heard it when it was called Beth. And he goes, <laughs> how do you hear Beth in the middle? That doesn't make any sense that you hear Beth in the middle of a Metallica song and he started arguing with a fake Paul Stanley and a fake Gene Simmons. My buddy who's on the air says, uh, hey guys, guys, we just interrupt for one second. Uh, Lars, we have a talk radio station next door that has a movie critic every Friday who reviews new movie releases that gets real movie stars to come into the studio and we actually have his guest in the studio now. It's Christopher Walken. Do you mind having him on? Is that really Christopher Walken? It is, Lars. I love Metallica because <laughs> I love cocaine. And he starts arguing with the fake Paul Stanley, fake Gene Simmons. He's talking to a fake Christopher Walken. At some point, I'm doing a fake Phil and Samo and yelling at him. And then my buddy goes, hey, you're not going to believe this. Sam Kinison just walked in the studio. And I said, hey, uh, Lars, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we used to party back in the 80s until you stole all my coke. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and Lars just went, didn't that guy like die 15 years ago? <laughs> and we go, yeah, man, it's really weird. And then we finally uh, do a big reveal. Hey, Lars, sorry. It's uh, a comedian named Craig Gass. And I said, Lars, that was not my idea. I'm sorry. And Lars goes, uh, are you going to be in St. Louis when we get there? And I said, no, I live in New York. So I will not be here when you get here. And he said, well, I'd love to hang out with you the next time you come to a Metallica show. And I said, <laughs> I would love to hang out with you, man. That's awesome. And a week later, I'm back home in New York, and our producer, Gary Delabate, walked up to me and said, hey, so kind of a funny story, but uh, one of the guys in Metallica is trying to get a hold of you, man. You better call this guy. And I called this phone number, and this guy said, I don't know who you are, but Lars wanted me to call you and fly you to Denver to host a radio show with him, which is a promotion for the new album. And Lars and I became friends, and then they announced shortly after that they were going to do a private show in New York only giveaways you had to be in the metallica fan club to get tickets and i called up lars and said if metallica had any balls they would let a comedian open for him and just like the george carlin messages 
I saved my Lars messages and he said, Boop. Hey man, it's Lars. I got your message. And, um, yeah, man, I talked to James and Kirk and some of the other guys and let's have you come down and do a couple 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is you do. And let's have some fun. Huh? Huh? <laughs> and I got to open for Metallica, by the way, that was the clean version of that story. If you want to hear the full uncensored version, come out to the wind down this weekend awesome. and, and you'll hear it. It's uh, awesome. all the infos at get, were, were they playing stadiums at that point? Like, are you in football stadiums? Doing Dude, that? Oh my God. Not only was he in a football stadium, um, this is a really bad story, but uh, I go into the football stadium. It's at it's where the Broncos play yeah. is where they ended up playing their show. And his assistant came out and got me and brought me backstage. And Lars goes, hey, man, come in and meet everybody. James, Kirk, and Trujillo all sitting in one table with Lars and a security guy. And he goes, dude, this is the guy who does all the impressions. And Josh, you know this. Mm -hmm. I've always been able to do any voice that I hear because I grew up in a deaf yep. family. And I couldn't learn how to talk for my family. I learned how to talk by watching TV and copying all the voices I heard on TV. Sure. And Lars goes, hey, man, this is Craig. He's the guy who does all the voices. And check it out. His whole family is retarded. I go, they're not retarded. <laughs> they're deaf. And he goes, deaf, retarded, whatever. His whole family is retarded. I go, no, dude, you are messing my story up. Yeah. But, yeah, so, again, uh, wind down this weekend. You know what? I, we've done this before, but I, if you have room, I want to come back in later this week and, and join you with some for Why not? stories. So. Why not? Uh, uh, Winddownnashville.com uh, or go to getgas.com. Get gas with two S's.com. Craig Gas. Josh in a show. Stay there. <laughs> God damn. I really enjoy the, the <sighs> Lars story. Yeah, me too. Had you Had I told you that story before? Did it ring a bell? The uh, not the one about Woody because I know who Woody, Woody is on all the alt stations. Alt stations right? now, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I didn't know. I didn't know that story. I knew the one about the uh, like this is the guy that does the voices. I knew that one, but oh matter. yeah, yeah, because his whole family's <laughs> retarded. Yeah, and like, yeah. <laughs> that's great shit. Yeah, dude. dude. He uh, Woody went from middays at K Rock to middays in St. Louis. Then he did mornings in St. Louis with a, another guy from our station named Rizzuto. Yep. And Rizzuto used to be our promotions guy. He was the guy I would hit up for movie passes and free CDs and stuff. Yep. And then um, and then Rizzuto, uh, after Woody said, well, I'm going to L.A., Rizzuto stayed behind and he took over mornings and actually got a successful morning show. He's got a huge morning show in St. Louis, which you don't. When you see one anchor, you can't see a co-host sure. becoming the anchor. And he did it. And it's he's crushing and now woody's on like a thousand radio stations as well yeah, no, yeah that's it, the gig i need to get like syndication some, like not even just syndication so much but like uh like in that format for instance it's a little bit younger of a format too not i really don't like alt rock i know that the state so i don't really care about 21 pilots and shit like that it's mm -hmm. not really my music i prefer this music but like it's uh more current if that makes sense like you're more modern you're kind of talking to a younger audience if that makes sense you know does the business end of it annoy you do without naming any names is there any one program director that really stands out to you in other words a, the program director is the boss at the radio station sure. is there any one program director that just didn't seem to know what the fuck he was doing i worked for a lot of smart people even though we didn't get along like i don't the people in houston at the sports station i was at the second time I don't think they even knew what I did when they hired me. They're like, oh, this guy just got fired in Philly. He was in Houston. He had huge numbers before in Houston. All so matters. let's bring yeah, him in. Numbers. And then they, I don't think they had any clue what I did. They just wanted me to be there to kind of, you know, 
they didn't want me to be critical of the teams that were on the station any of that. And I'm like, whatever. Ooh. They had no clue what I was doing. And then there was a lot of jealousy there. My boss in Philly used to run a radio station called WYSP. You know, WYSP. It became WIP, the station I was on when they flipped it to sports. I've been in that building many times. <clears throat> yep. At 400 Market is where we uh, were at the end there. Then we had, um, we also went in, uh, My he also programmed KLSX in Los Angeles when it was talk, right? Still going? Okay. No, keep going. I was like, keep no, going because the conversation is yeah. good. Yeah, We're talking we, about assholes and radio. This yeah, is, this is good. People want to hear it. So we ended up, uh, he programmed KLSX, which was, I believe, the fourth or fifth Stern market in the early 90s. So basically, my old boss, Andy Bloom is his name. So Andy Bloom put Stern on in Philly, and Philly was the second market he was on Correct. there in Washington. Yep. And then when Andy moved from Philly to I believe he LA, actually started in Philly before he went to D.C., he did. Yeah. So I'm saying, so he okay, was in Philly, okay. then to DC. Right, 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 right. And then they eventually added LA in the early nineties, like right. 90, 91. And Andy was the program director there that brought him on as well. No so he was my PD. So he's a very smart guy. Mm. Uh, then they whacked him there when I was still there. And then I just lost my mind and got myself fired. there, just doing dumb shit. Cause I just didn't want to be, I was going to say, cause by the time I got to Philly, Andy was not there. And by the time I got to LA Andy was not there either. Yeah. But I remember hearing early on from radio people, uh, some great advice that I remember, uh, getting to use shortly after which is i was sitting in on a huge radio show for a week in a town where i was performing and what was the radio show i, I don't want to say because it'll give away who the program director was okay. i don't want to say but the um uh the program director grabs me in the hallway and they'd already said hey you know if, if you'd like to you could just be uh, on the show for a week and i'd say oh, i'd love to and the pd stops me in the hallway after day one or day two and says uh Hey, Craig, uh, doing a good job. You're doing good. Uh, listen, when you're, you know, you, you want to do more of this and less of this. Like he was telling me how to do radio. Sure. And I learned early on to go, oh, I didn't even think about that. You know what? That's amazing. And then just do the opposite. And just keep just doing, do what what doing. doing. keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. And surprisingly, <laughs> after the next show, still doing what I've been doing, he sees me in the hallway and he goes, Craig. Good stuff. Team player. But I think that's in any business. Yeah. I think in any business, if you just let the boss think that they gave you the idea. Yes. They're not listening. Like, yes. most, I got a good PD here. Like, Jonathan's a very smart guy. That's our PD here. Like, and he actually listens and wants to do good stuff. The problem is, like, a lot of these guys, they just, they don't give a damn. Like, I mean, all they want to know is that they told you to do something and you're doing it. Right. And I do think that's in any business. Like, you could work at J.C. JCPenney and say, hey, you want to ring this up a little bit different over here? You go, sure, I'll do that. And then you just dick around and they go, hey, good job. Good on you. It's just about stroking people. I've, that's, I, what I, that's what I've struggled to learn in life is it, it how to manipulate and stroke people. Because me, I'm more of like a blunt, like, I'm not doing that shit. Like, I thought I was big shit. You know, and Phil, I'm feeling like, I'm not doing the dumb shit you want me to do. And then, you know, all you got to do is tell them, hey, I'm going to do this. You're right. Um, like I worked with a guy, his name was Spike Eskin is his name. And he became the PD after my boss got fired and I don't have anything against him anymore, but I was just trying to blow up my whole situation there and get out when my boss got whacked. And we were doing the show together at one point before Andy, we got fired there. And, um, he would, I would, I was the lead of the show. And one day he goes, I can tell you didn't prep for the show today and you don't have any notes or anything. And it just doesn't sound good. I can tell that you didn't do it. I said, okay, fine. I come back the next day and I just hammered at the opening. He goes, that was fucking great. I go, you want to see my notepad on that? 
and I held it up. There was nothing on it. I'm like, wow. I don't need, like, the point is, like, it's not about prepping or writing a bunch of, it was just whether or not I wanted to do it on that particular day. And he would get pissed and be like, you're a dick. I'd be like, eh, whatever, you know, it is what it is. But yeah, like, it, it is stroke people. If I just went, like, I should have just gone, you're absolutely right. I'll work harder on that. That's a good idea. Let me come in tomorrow and do it better. But instead, I'm like, just so you know, asshole. I can do great when I want to and shitty when I want to. And I'm shitty on purpose today. Like I'm just an asshole when it comes to that. It's why I'm fascinated with people's jobs who are like uh, like a record producer and the ability to finesse sensitive egos, the other side of it. The sure. Because I have met great PDs. I've, I've met program directors who are brilliant and have built powerhouse radio stations. And their balls the are cut off now, too. I mean, there are only a handful of PDs seemingly in the world anymore. And a lot of people are afraid of their own shadow, too. That's an important part here, too, is like they don't want to mess anything up. They're just trying to, you know, get paid until the wheels fall off the radio, basically, like until it ends. And when did you start in radio? Well, let's see. I started doing uh, full oh uh, six oh five, okay. And then I've been around it my whole life though, because my dad does radio. Your dad was, yeah. yeah. So I've been around it since you know I was ten years old. So had you old. always wanted to do radio because uh -huh. you did? Yeah. I, oh, I, I take that back. There was a stretch where I wanted to do. I wanted to make movies. Okay. So about 1998, I wanted a video camera. I was like Dawson's Creek. I was like James Vanderbeek in Dawson's Creek. Just wanted to make movies. Okay. In particular, I was really into Hitchcock. I wanted to make horror movies. No shit. So I had a video camera, and like me and my buddy would reenact the shower scene. You want to talk about something <laughs> that looked gay? A friend of yours in the shower, you come in with a camera and you're stabbing him with a fake knife. And he's like, he's in his swimming trunks in the shower. Like, right, now, let, now let's pull each other's dicks. Yeah, like, like it's, it's what anything. it was Just though. Like, do it, man. like, why is this guy killing another guy in the shower? And <laughs> it's like a gay porn. Um, and so it was, so that's what we would do. And I would make why movies. Is he stabbing him in the butt. <laughs> With his dick. I don't think that's a knife, bro. Uh yeah, so that's what we would do, and that's what I wanted to do. Here's a story you'll find amusing. So my dad bought me this video camera for Christmas. It was like, I got a video camera finally. And it was one of those, the, the, the recorders that has the little tape that goes in the big tape and you put it in the VHS to so the VCR to watch it. So he got me this for Christmas. Christmas day, he, my dad goes, Josh, you need to borrow your camera for a little bit. I go, okay, fine, whatever. You bought it. Oh, no. So he sets the camera up in his bedroom oh, on no. a tripod, right? And he and my stepmom go to the bedroom with the tripod set up. It's kind of obvious what's going to happen. I'm 12, 13. I'm not, you know, dumb. So from what I gather, they go in there and they pound it out on, on tape. Right. And then dad comes out. Yeah, whatever. I got to go, whatever. Leaves the camera set up in there and everything. Oh, no. So I go in and I don't know why I had this morbid curiosity, Oh no! but I went looking for the tape and it wasn't in the, 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 the recorder. And I go digging around and I find it. My dad, you know, those old like metal Coca-Cola, uh, like, um, like coolers, like old school that you buy in an antique yes, shop. Yes. And then he put the old crate on top of that, the bottle crate, the metal one and made like a table out of it. I, I removed the top part and in the little cooler was this tape. And I go, it's on now. Cause my stepmom was pretty hot. This is 1998. Oh, she looked no. good. She had like the big eighties hair. I mean, she's pretty hot. And I said, you know what? I'm going to watch this. I got to commit to it. So I put the tape into the bigger tape, put the tape in the VCR, and I'm sitting down. I got a little popcorn. I'm like, well, let's see what I Let's see, pop some corn. Ready Literally. to go. Got my Vaseline over here. Got my popcorn <laughs> over here. Let's go. And I tell you, I put that thing in. And have you seen Airheads with Brendan Fraser? Yeah, I remember that. Remember when they go into the radio station to get their song played and yes. it's on the reel to reel and the reel to reel eats it? Yeah. That is exactly what happened. The tape got God. eaten. 
and, yeah, and karma. So I, and I didn't see it. But here's the problem. Now I have to go to my dad and explain why oh, his homemade tape. erotica has been eaten <laughs> and is, is you can't watch it. So, Dad, you're not going to believe this, but I uh, here's your tape. It's like, sorry, I ruined your homemade porn tape, Lieutenant Dan. Like, that's what it was like. Oh, and I was like, man. Yeah, so I never saw. And people are like, why did you want to see it? Like, your dad. I'm like, I don't want to see my dad banging it out. I wanted to see my stepmom. It wasn't my real mom. What There's city? no category on the hub that says real mom. Did Stepmom's you, a great one. Did you move around a lot? Mm -hmm. uh, we lived in nine cities, I think, by the time I was about 10. Okay, so I started in radio and stand up in 1993 yeah. and every radio guy i knew was telling me dude you just missed it like it was such a party right before they you always here. say that when yeah. i got in it and when i started doing full-time stuff in 05 yeah a couple years ago man it was still rocking but now yeah. it's and i can tell you firsthand it's dead now like there's no party <laughs> that goes on like so if i ever tell someone that gets into it today i'll be like yeah, you missed the party. When did it end? 1993. Yeah, it turns out. Yeah, I didn't live it either. Because I do know that they would have sex with listeners in the studio. They yep. would do drugs in the studio. They could play whatever they wanted. Yeah. They had some autonomy. They could actually, uh, hey, I want to turn you on to a new band I've discovered. And it just got more and more corporate over the years. And, and, and because of the times that we live in, you can't just invite listeners to come in and have sex <laughs> in the studio anymore. We're America. In, yeah. Let me tell you, thanks, 2020, uh, too. We're living in a different time. But yeah, Thanks, liberals. And same thing, by the way, in comedy. I started comedy at the same time, and everyone was like, dude, you just missed it. Apparently, in the 80s, it was very common to hear at the end of a week at a comedy club to sit down with the comedy club owner and have them get ready to pay you by saying, uh, do you want to get paid in green or white? Oh, yeah. And oh, the stories I used to hear about radio were like dudes would have blow just out on the board. Mm -hmm. They're banging some chick from behind. Guys got like a rail on a record and just starts the record. And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like doing a rail as the, the record spins. Like everything, it seemed like the coolest gig ever. And then you have to explain to people now like, it really isn't. I mean, it's a very square job. It's not, I mean, it's a job and it's a nice job and I make money doing it, but it is a square job. Like it's, no one does that kind of stuff. And most, most people aren't mean anymore. Like, like in the nineties, everybody was a dick. Man cow was a dick. Stern was a dick. O and a were dicks. Mm -hmm. Like that's what it was. It was edgy and you were dicks and everybody got made fun of. And now, like, everybody's just kind of nice and like, hey, mm -hmm. let me tell you this great story from today, man. I just saw that uh, some 90-year-old woman got out of her wheelchair to help a kitten down from a tree, and the kitten was gay. <laughs> and, that, like, and she's a Republican. Like, oh, like it's like, wow. Yeah. Um, that, and that's what it is now. You got to be nice, and, you know, people aren't jerks anymore. Like, um, there's a podcast I listen to called How Did This Get Made? And it's with uh, Paul Shear and uh, Jason Mantzoukas. And they watch shitty movies and make fun of them, basically. And I'm listening to an episode from about eight years ago. And they're like, it's from Justin to Kelly that they're breaking out. Kelly Clarkson's movie. Okay. And they're shitting on it. And she's fat and she's this. And I'm like, that's only about eight years ago. Oh, it was a different world eight years ago. Eight years ago, people were still dicks. Now, if you're even remotely dickish, it's like you're horrible and you're canceled and you're a bad person, you know. It's a weird time to be living in. Uh, also... I want to point out when you're talking about radio, some of the shittiest treatment, the, like the worst I got fired stories are in radio. Because sure. Because the radio guy getting fired is 
always the last one to know because you don't want someone to still have their job and a microphone when they have you heard the examples of the ones who have there's a couple yes, there's a there's a top 40 chick right uh, there was a chick named ionetta the mood setter who was like bitch i'm out yeah of she goes dick. ionetta will no longer be setting the mood on the <laughs> And there was a rock guy down in like Tampa, I think, and he lost his mind. He was like, this fucking company is terrible, and they lied to my face, and fuck you. And then he just leaves. And like Ionetta, she at least hit the the jingle and, and went to commercial. The the, the, yeah, this guy just left dead air, no and shit. and he was and on the middle of his rant, he goes. And you would think, you know how I know no one's listening? I've been at this for four minutes shitting on these people, and no one has even come down the hall to tell me to wow. stop. No one is listening. He's like, wow. God, this is great. Wow. Yeah. I remember some of the, um, one of them was, uh, Buffalo, New York. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this one that, um, there was, a uh, a heritage rock station been around for decades and there's signs all over the station saying, uh, mandatory meeting this Friday at 6 PM at the Mexican restaurant down the street, salespeople on air people, everyone's required to be at this meeting at yeah. Friday at 6 PM. And so at 5 PM, when the office closes, everybody gets their stuff. They head down to the Mexican restaurant and their bosses stand in front of everybody and say, hey, so uh, we wanted to have you guys get together here so we could talk to you. Uh, you might have heard some rumors. And it's true. Starting on Monday, we're going Spanish. And everyone was like, what? You took us to a Mexican <laughs> restaurant to tell us that we're going like no people were laughing. They were making jokes. They're pointing at the wait staff and going, is that our new morning show here? <laughs> and, and they think it's a joke. It's, it's so ridiculous that they think it's funny. And then it starts to set in that this is a real thing. And someone goes, uh, I have a question. So we're all fired? Because uh, I actually need to go back to the office because there are some items from my home that are at my <laughs> desk. So I need to go back in the building. And they said, oh, we actually took care of that. And people started walking with boxes at 5 p.m. When everybody clocked out, they had people going through the office and throwing all your shit in a box and putting your name on the box and saying, here's God. your box, here's your box, here's your well, box. Actually, to tell, you that, uh, to tell you the future of the radio station, we've got a mariachi band here, and they're going to sing. <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> we, um, when I got fired in Philly, they brought me in. And firings don't take long. Like, they take two seconds. Like, mm -hmm. you go in, they go, they had an HR person next to me, and they fired me. The reason they fired me is because I posted a picture of Al Jolson on my Twitter. Let me rewind. So the other radio station was apparently using voice actors for calls okay. and one of them was a white guy doing a very stereotypical black voice so i was making fun of them and it was a story in philly like oh my god it's a minstrel show so i posted a picture of al jolson and i said well we found the caller to 97.5 right here and it's like, eh. well they use that as an excuse to fire me so they brought me and said yeah we're firing you for the al jolson picture and i said all right cool that was all they said i got up and they said also um we're gonna need the truck because i had a truck that was through an endorsement so I was driving it for free, but they're like, we're going to need your truck right now. And I go like right now, my stuff's in it. They're like, yep, we're going to have someone get that out of your truck for you, but you need to find a ride home because like, and to make a point, because I don't know why I did this. 
because my the station in Philly was maybe five, six miles from my house. Okay. I walked home. I said, fuck you. I'm walking home. My wife calls. She goes, do you want me to come pick you up? I said, no, I'm making a fucking point. And I walked all the way home wow. five miles. You know how Philly's set up with like the, the river. And just, yeah. So I walked down by the Rocky steps. I walked down by the, the <laughs> river. I walked all the way to an area the called least, Mana Young. The least inspirational Rocky walk ever. I did. I'm, and, like, and, I'm, and all I'm doing is reading my social media, people celebrating that I got fired. Fuck this guy. This piece of shit's finally gone yeah fuck him and uh, my dad calls me did you get fired like yeah like what are you doing i'm walking home <laughs> like five miles home and uh yeah that was wow. that's in houston that when i got fired i've only been fired twice people think it's more but it's only been twice now granted i've only had three jobs but um i got fired at houston and they bring me in me my wife who was on the show and my radio guy jim who did all the wacky stunts and stuff and we they sat us down and said all right we're going to let you guys go. I go, okay, is that it? Yep. And I go, why? I asked him why. Like, business decision. I said, okay, fine. What do you need? Well, we have to escort you out. Like, what am I going to do? Like, do they think I'm going to, like, shoot up the place? Do they think I'm Jerry Maguire? Am I going to, like, deliver a mission statement to people? And who's coming with me? It's like, I know you guys. Why are like they basically grab you by the arm and say, sorry, time for you to go. And they take your key card, they kick you to the curb, and then it's over. It's so demoralizing. It's such a shitty way to treat people. But it feels like when Bob Dole got his uh, got kicked out of the real world on uh, the the Norm McDonald bit on SNL. Oh, when yeah. he was on North when he was doing Bob Dole on the real world. He's like, Well, Bob Dole's gonna take Bob Dole's chair. Like that was yeah. me. I'm like, Well, I need my wacky <laughs> wheel. Somebody give me my wheel. <laughs> <laughs> that's another set of stories i got to come back with is some norm stories because norm was uh the best norm told me a really funny but depressing story about rodney dangerfield that uh rodney was uh the more you learn about rodney the more you realize he was very depressed and he was he was like a miserable i think being. that it shows though like if you really like look deep into the comedy i think it's it's kind of noticeable right like do you have to be kind of miserable to be a comedian in a way I don't think so. Well, you it's, don't seem miserable, uh, but no. I, I don't watch you cutting yourself every night either, listening I'm, I'm to the pretty, cure. I'm pretty easygoing, and my comedy comes from a pretty happy place. Was, I, was Carlin angry? Like at the in end, the end. And the end, he was the angriest. Like, uh, it's bad for you was the stand-up. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, I don't know that this is funny. It's yeah. just really angry. It was so unhappy. I, even when he took that turn in 92 with Jamming in New York. Which is brilliant. Which is brilliant. His early 90s it's, stuff it's, is er, very good. Early 90s where he says screw the planet screw you know we think that after all these billions of years of all these things that have happened on the planet that a couple of plastic bags are going to save it and it, it was brilliant but starting to get angrier which is where he started to lose me a little bit yeah and he was so angry in the end but why why was he angry you knew him i you know it's weird because again he i have this friend named shelly who's one of my best friends and i don't know why i passed along this message but shelly says to me hey the next time you talk to george can you do me a favor and tell him i'm not happy with the whole thing he did about fuck plastic bags and fuck recycling and i was like okay and i don't know why i'd only been doing comedy for a couple of years at that point i go hey george and i fucking told him i said <laughs> my friend shelly doesn't like your comedy piece about recycling and he goes, well, you know, I do recycle. And I said, you do? And he goes, yeah, it makes me feel good. He goes, my garbage guy. He goes, my garbage guy caught me and said, hey, George, I didn't think you did it. I didn't think you did this stuff. And I and I looked at him and I said, 
every little bit helps, right? <laughs> and he said, and it's because he said, I love people. I love people so much. And I think he was disappointed in us as a society because of what we do as groups is what he was disappointed in. And he didn't like what we became uh, as groups with an agenda. That's what he was disappointed in. But I still am an optimist. I'm still a glass is half full person. So I don't relate to that. But he was so dark in the end. And I regret that. And he, he just looked, he was yeah. old and hunched over yeah. and wearing like oversized, you know, black shirt and sweats mm -hmm. and black shoes. Yeah. It's bad for you. And like, but like, if you go to those early 90s ones, he's looking fit. He's got the shirt tucked into the yeah. black jeans, slick back, but like right off of Bill and Ted. And yeah, he, he looked really good. He did have a dark sense of humor. I remember when I first met him was in 93, 90. Yeah, it was 93. That New Year's Eve, George was doing New Year's at Bally's. And I went to the show because my biggest thing was I now know George Carlin. And my comedian friend Josh Wolf would say, you know what that means, that George wants to help you. And I said, yeah, it means I'm never paying for a George Carlin show for as long as I live. That's all I cared yeah. about was going to see George Carlin perform over and over again for free. So I went to go see him on New Year's Eve. The early show, someone had a seizure and had to be carried out on a gurney. And I remember telling him, this is 1993, I go, there was a woman that was carried out on a gurney. I don't know if she survived. And George goes, yeah, good. <laughs> And he and I go, what? And I'm only doing comedy for a few months at that point. And he goes, you know, think about all the years I've been traveling around the country and around the world doing shows. And if you think about the hundreds of thousands, millions of people that have come to see me over the years, statistically, you realize there has to be a percentage of people who went to the shows that never made it home. And if I never came to town, they'd still be alive. <laughs> and I went... Jesus, that's terrible. And then, like, it took me time to realize there is humor in everything. But I just thought that was a little too dark for me at the time. And where he landed, and I don't want to give anything away, but you're heading right towards it right now because in part two of the documentary, uh -huh. they cover all of what you're saying yeah. and all of what we're discussing start. right now. Yeah. And several comedians, including one big surprise, yeah. Analyzes that they think that George is actually a good person, and the person who says that George is a good person is gonna fucking blow your mind. But uh, the the story I wanted to tell you though, Norm McDonald. Uh, before I leave, Norm had um, Rodney showed up to do a hit on Weekend Update when Norm was doing Weekend Update, and then when Rodney showed up on Saturday night, he was upset about having to do a rehearsal. Uh, Saturday Night Live at 8 p.m. every Saturday does a two and a half hour show in front of a live studio audience. And then they cut an hour of stuff that doesn't work mm -hmm. and make it a 90 minute show at 1130 at night. OK, so they actually do two performances that night uh, where they run through all the sketches and more. And That's a pain in the ass. Um, yeah, but it's also getting an idea of like what, what you, works, when you, what when you, you see in front of a live audience, yeah. what actually is working. All right. So we'll keep this, keep this, cut this, cut this, cut this. Sure. And, uh, Rodney didn't want to do, he's like, I know what I'm doing. Why do I have to come back twice? Like, let's just, I'll just be here at 1130. And Norm was like, yeah, but you can't, They, you know, this is the way we do things. You just got to go through it and you, and we just need to see what works. And Rodney goes, I know what works. I know what works. He goes, yeah, but you can't. And so they sit there in the, in the in his dressing room, and he said, "Rodney goes, yeah, I'll tell you, it's all shit, Norm. It's all shit. TV is shit. <laughs> Movies are shit. Comedy. That's all we got. Me and you. 
comedy is where it's at. And then they sat there in silence for two minutes, and Rodney goes, eh, comedy shit, too. <laughs> <laughs> man why are you that it's a funny story but genuinely makes me sad oh that's great that rodney couldn't see the beauty in stand-up comedy and how what a fucking gift it is but it's oh, also weird great. to look back at a guy like rodney and realize that guy's not sharing anything about himself he's just standing behind a barrage of one liner yeah it's all one-liners and all it's all one like generic one like oh let me tell you about my wife type yeah, of stuff yeah, yeah. there's no like his is not raw comedy where you're digging deep into a guy's soul to get the humor which is what comedy is today correct well i comedy today is that and it's also like anti-trump shit all the time which I, is i'm not like pro like saying i'm pro trump or anything but what I'm saying is like it's lazy. It's like, well, let me tell you about the conservatives. It's like, well, give me something else. Well, you know? late night talk shows lean more that way, but stand-up comedy that's going right down the middle will avoid uh Trump stuff and and politics in general because you want to sell tickets to both sides, you want to sell tickets to everybody. Sure. And comedy like uh, to get a special is more personal now sure it's more about there was a gal i watched on netflix i watched about half of it and i forgot her name but she's just telling stories about how she's on antidepressants and i'm like mm. laughing my ass off at this i'm like this is good like about how her dad doesn't get that she has anxiety and stuff really? forgot her name i wonder who that i don't um... know she, she was a cute chick and she was doing i forgot what it was you know who i love though is uh nikki glazer i, I was gonna say nikki glazer i love her i'm trying to think of what was the funny every time i hear a good line i always want to share it and for some reason, the only one I can think of right now is a, a line that I heard from Flea that I just started calling so many people about. Um, they were doing an interview with Howard and Howard goes, uh, you know what I loved is I love um, when you guys did that music video where from the beginning of the video, you are in black and white. You're a 60s band, like an Ed Sullivan type band. And then you turn into a hippie band and then they kind of go through the eras of like eighties. Yeah. They have the big hair and makeup and then the nineties and, and then chili peppers today. And they discussed the making of this video and flea said, he goes, the one era that I had a tough time with on that video shoot was the eighties because I didn't like any music from the eighties. And I told uh, John, our guitar player, I said, how do I look like an eighties rock star? And John sincerely thought about it and said um you want to look surprised <laughs> all the time <laughs> he goes like you're really surprised about everything you want to look really like shocked and surprised i thought that was the funniest fucking line that's great but uh yeah dude i'll be back cool. later this week cool. and yeah, just and text line. me and let me know when you want to come in thank you sir you bet, man.